I was born in 1952. The long tentacles of the Great Depression, World War II, and the Korean War reached deep, deep into my childhood. We didn't have 24-hour news back then like you have now, and most of the news that we knew about either came from talk with the family on the front porch, like the old Andy Griffith days when in the evening you'd sit around the porch and talk, or other times, or sometimes at church, and then for kids my age in that day, maybe sometimes through the weekly reader. I remember as a 12-year-old boy sitting on my grandmother's front porch. We had picked peas all morning when it was cool, and we were shelling those peas so that Mama and Grandmama could can them and freeze them. We ate everything we could and canned everything we couldn't back in those days. And as the conversation was bantering back between my grandmother and my mother, I overheard them discussing the fact that Russia had threatened to drop an atomic bomb on America and destroy our world. I remember getting very upset at that because that was the first time in my young life that I came to realize that somebody, somewhere, had the kind of power that they could do something like that. Of course, it wasn't just a 12-year-old boy. It was everybody at that time. We even had drills in our schools about what we should do in case we had an atom bomb dropped somewhere. We were taught about Geiger counters and bomb shelters. The world was a scared place and a scary place in those days. And then the world marched on as time carried on. We came to the Cuban Missile Crisis. And then the Bay of Pigs incident, where once again America was on edge and very fearful of what the result might be. And then came Vietnam. First time in my life that my peers walked into war and returned in body bags. And then came 9-11. Iraq and Iran. The filthy, nasty, long-term wars in both of those countries. And now we have people like North Korea. And by the way, pray for the President of the United States as he meets with this guy. This is an important meeting in time. But he's been threatening all of his adult life to drop a bomb on America. And then you've got that bunch over in Iran that we have financed their evil ploys to bomb America. And then we realize that we have other things to deal with in the world today. Pam and I were talking yesterday about my children. They're both in their 30s now, approaching their 40s. How different their generation is from our generation. Things that mattered to us and we cared about, they don't seem to care about anymore. But... It's their generation. And I told her, I said, you know, we grew up in a different time. We, we didn't know what terrorism was. But we live in an A today where somebody can walk into a restaurant 
a bus terminal, a plane terminal, a city park, an innocent birthday party, or an Alabama-Auburn football game on a Saturday and blow themselves up and everybody within a certain area of them could be destroyed. And they do it in the name of their God. Not to mention, a few months ago, out in Texas, a, a mentally deranged individual rented two rooms in a high sky or a high uh, motel, sky-lifted motel out there, bursted the windows out and showered down bullets on hundreds and hundreds of people at a country western concert, killing 58 and ruining the lives of many children, mamas and daddies, brothers and sisters, friends and neighbors who lost those people to such a ruthless, merciless, act of terrorism people walk up and shoot into our churches now there are a lot of things in this world to be afraid of there are a lot of things that are fearful a lot of things that we ought to be afraid of but I want to talk to you today about something that's probably more fearful than any of all of those things and you don't hear much talk about it it's the wrath of God you may have never heard a sermon on the great white throne judgment, but I want to tell you this morning you're going to. You see, it's very easy for us to get selective in how we look at God. We, we like to put God in a box. We like to think about our God, and, and I love the music this morning. I love the theme, Brother David. Thank you for that. It's ministered in my heart. He is a great God. There is none greater. No one, no thing will stand against Him. But our defense is Him. Because you see, without him, we're going to be judged. We, we, we live in a time when people want to put God in that box and say he's a God of peace and he's a God of grace and he's a God of healing and a God of provision. He's a God of caring and, and, and a God of love and all of those things. And he is all of those things. But folks, I've got to tell you this morning, listen to me. There's another side of God. Our text this morning here in Revelation 20, I want you to listen to this carefully, beginning in verse 11. God has allowed John to see heaven so he could write about it, so you and I could understand it. Listen to what he reports for us here. This is, this is not just a report, folks. This is the Word of God. This is the living, true Word of God. I believe every Word of God. Do you? If you believe that, then this is what John saw, and this is what's going to happen. Listen to it, beginning in verse 11, Revelation 20, verse 11. And I saw, John says, a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every, get that, every man according to their works. Every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was found not or not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. God is a just God. 
I want you to understand that this morning. And our God hates sin. Sin always has consequences. And because we know that God is a just God, it would do all of us well this morning to consider the great consequences that come with the nature of this thing called sin. We better pay attention to the reality and the nature of those consequences, the consequences of sin. So above all things that should cause or create or generate fear in one's life, it should be the thing anybody fears the most would be to die without Christ and stand before holy God at the great white throne judgment. And don't get it mixed up. There's two judgments. The judgment seat of Christ is for the believers. I'll mention that again in a minute. For all those believers, we'll be judged for what we've done for Jesus from the time we get saved until we get there. But if you don't know Jesus, you're going to stand before holy God at the great white throne judgment. Now, this is not a new concept to us. All through our Bibles, God has used judgment. For instance, Adam and Eve were told not to eat of the forbidden fruit. And when they did, what happened? God's judgment fell on them and it cursed all of mankind for all of time. We read in Romans chapter 1 the great moral degradation of judgment where God judges sin and it culminates in Romans 3.23 for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 the wages of sin is death and we're judged on that. And then the self-judgment we read about in Corinthians where we talk about the Lord's table and we're told there, so let a man examine himself, let a man judge himself that when he comes to the table that if he eat or drink unworthily, he eats or drinks damnation unto himself. And then the judgment seat of Christ again where all believers one day are going to bow before holy Jesus and holy God and answer for what you did for the Lord from the time you got saved until you stand before Him or bow before Him at the judgment seat of Christ. Old Leonard Ravenhill, that great old hard preacher, said, it would do all of us good at night when we lay our heads on our pillow to ask God, God, what did you write in our book? Oh, in your book about us today, God's keeping a record, folks. He's keeping up with what you're doing for Him, even as you sit here this morning. There's a check by your name that you were in church this morning. There is a check by your name that you either went or you didn't go to Sunday school this morning. There's going to be a check on your name that whether or not you're in Wednesday night prayer service, a check by your name, whether you share the gospel or if you shared the gospel, a check by your name. Did you lead anybody to Jesus? Have you won anybody to Christ? A check by your name. Did you give a cup of water in Jesus name? He's keeping a tally of everything you do and you're going to be judged accordingly when you get there. The judgment seat of Christ and then comes the judgment I'm preaching about today. The great white throne judgment. It's one of our doctrines. It's one of the least doctrines that we teach or talk about or prepare people for and tell them to be prepared not to be there. So let me give you in the beginning this morning a foundation of the great white throne judgment. It is the final judgment. It's called great because of the awesome intensity 
and the degree of its importance. Here at this judgment, every unbeliever's eternal destiny will be declared and uh, determined with ample proof and with ample reason. It's called great because it will put an end to all judgment for all time. It's called white because it will be the supreme and the undimmed display of the perfect righteousness and justice of God to all mankind. It's called throne because of the one who sits upon it. He sits in absolute majesty and sovereignty and sovereign authority to condemn a Christ-rejecting world to internal lake of fire, Revelation 4 and verse 2. So the greatest fear a person should ever have would be to die without Christ and face holy God at the great white throne judgment where he issues the condemnation of eternity upon one's soul. Now this morning, I want us, if you will, to just have a a few minutes to put our sanctified imaginations on. And if you'll allow me, I'm going to try to develop for you or illustrate to you a for instance of what standing for holy God at the great white throne judgment might be. And I want you to listen very carefully to this. I can't tell you it's going to be exactly like this. But I believe it's going to be somewhat like this. I want you to imagine this morning that this is not your church. I want you to imagine this is a courtroom. Now, we all have an understanding of what a courtroom looks like. We grew up watching Perry Mason, if you're my age. If you're younger than me, Matlock. And today you've got all the law and order shows on TV. We all have seen what a courtroom looks like. Many of us have been to court, either as a, a jurist or perhaps even as a plaintiff or in other reasons, but we all are familiar with a courtroom. I want you to imagine this to be the most palatial courtroom you've ever seen. I want you to imagine this pulpit is the judgment bench, and behind it is a throne. Oh, it's, it's no ordinary throne. It's the most glorious, powerful throne that's ever existed. Presidents have oval offices. Queens and kings have thrones. But there's never been a throne like this because of the one who sits on this throne. We're talking about God, God Almighty, God the Creator. He's the one who sits upon this throne. Nothing on earth can compare to this courtroom setting. You see, there's total silence. And all of a sudden, they hear the clanging of chains. And through the back comes the death angel, dragging a man. His name is Bill. He's 74 years old. And he drags him down that aisle, and he places him in a judgment seat there beside that great white throne judgment. And then... In the silence of that moment, a voice like thunder speaks when God speaks and says, Today, children, we must weigh a man's life. And he turns to old Bill and he says to Bill, Bill, I gave you 74 years to live and it's now time for a reckoning of those years. And God says to Bill, Bill, the record is here before me and it does not look good. You knew this day would come. And I thought surely you'd make preparation against it, but you never did. And so he looks at him and he says, Bill, I'm sorry about today, but I'm a just God. So just in case, I want to make sure. And God turned to that crowd and he said to all those folks out there, he said, is there anybody here 
who would like to stand and give testimony on behalf of Bill, either for or against today. There's a moment of silence, and then all of a sudden a voice says, Yes, Lord, I'd, I'd like to speak. And the Lord looks and said, Holy Spirit, what, what have you got to say? And he steps forward and he says, Lord, I worked on this man for nearly 70 years. My first encounter with him happened in his home church, the Concord Baptist Church, in his hometown when he was seven years old. He was in vacation Bible school there, and his teacher had taught about Jesus and told him about his death on the cross and how he rose again to give him life. She did a good job. She explained it so thoroughly and carefully. And I began to knock on Bill's heart and the hearts of the other children in that room that day. His teacher did a good job in presenting the gospel, and I thought surely Bill's going to hear that knock and answer. Several of the children did, but not Bill. He chose that day, even though he was humbled and seemed to be ready, instead to go out and play with the other children. Several of his friends got saved, but not on that day for Bill. But I didn't give up. I continued to knock every year at Vacation Bible School. I continued to call and knock on his heart's door. And then he got a little older. And as he got older, I tried at youth camps and I tried at church services where your word had been preached a powerful way. But through all those important years, he continued to ignore me and my knocking. It was concerning because I realized every time I knocked and he refused, I could tell his heart was getting harder and harder toward the gospel. Then he graduated from high school and off to college he went. As he left home, moved to college, opportunities for me to knock on his heart's door got further and further apart. I tried several different strategies, Lord. Oh, I, I, I would send believers, friends who were accomplished witnesses to him, and they'd try to talk to him about Jesus and about being saved, but there seemed to be little or no interest. Oh, he'd occasionally go to your church, and, 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 and his mind would be preoccupied with concerns such as, where am I going to eat when I get out of church today? Or am I going to make Miss right today? Or I wish he'd hurry up and get through so I'd get out of here. The boys wouldn't play some ball and maybe go get a beer or two afterwards. He just continued to move further and further away from anything spiritual in his life. Then he became career focused. And it was as though nothing could touch him. The only thing that mattered was for him to be a success and whatever it took to get that done. I worked harder than ever. But he had no time for me. He met the girl of his dreams, and to her credit, she was a believer, and she shined brightly. She finally convinced him to at least start going back to church with her, and he did. And to his credit, I could tell he was doing it for her and his children as they came along, but he continued to ignore our knocking on his heart. I, I, I just kept trying and kept trying. As the years passed, he got to the autumn of his life. And our encounters became, again, further and further apart until one day I realized Bill was never going to hear me. So on his 73rd birthday, I wrote in my journal, Today is a sad day. And I wrote in all capitals letters under Bill's name, LOST. L-O-S-T. God says, Holy Spirit, are, are you certain of these facts? 
Holy Spirit, yes, Lord, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm sorry to say I gave him every opportunity. I, I knocked and I knocked and I knocked. I called and I called and I called. I gave him every opportunity to be saved, but he never chose Jesus. He chose to die lost. Holy Spirit, God says, this grieves me. But I'm a merciful God. Is there anyone else here today that like to speak for or against Bill? Yes, Lord. And Jesus stepped up. Father says, Son, what have you got to say? He said, Father, I, I like the Holy Spirit. Exhausted all of my efforts on Bill. Lord, Lord you to see the scars in my hands and my feet. Bill, look, the hands and, and feet, these scars... They're evidence that I suffered and bled and died on the cross just for you, Bill. Father, in fact, you'll remember thousands of years ago when you explained to me just how, how the, the purpose of the cross was for people like Bill. How agonizing and humiliating it was going to be. But it was all about Bill. Even then, your heart and mind was on him just like mine is now. You explained to me how agonizing, humiliating the cross would be. But it was the only means by which you said he could be bought or saved. So, Bill, Jesus said, I endured the agony, the pain, and the shame of the cross. I, I made that long journey up Calvary's hill. They beat me. They spit on me. They laughed and mocked me. They laid me on that cross. They nailed me to that tree. They pierced my side. They ridiculed me. They jeered me. They gambled for my clothes. They stood and watched. I could stand it no more. And I died. Why, Bill? For you. It was all for you. I could have come off that cross, but I stayed there because the Father said I had to do it for you. I did. I loved you that much, Bill. But you never bought in. You never believed. You never trusted. I was your only hope. Your only way. Bill, I loved you that much. I suffered, bled, and died for you. But you never believed. Oh, I wish you had. I wish today I could turn to my father and say you were mine and everything was good, but Bill, I can't because you waited too long. You waited too late. Then Jesus looked to the father and said, Father, Bill never trusted me. And he sits in that chair before you lost today. And Jesus turns and he turned around and said, Wait a minute, one more thing, Bill. Not only did I die on that cross for you, but after I died, for three days, I took on all of hell and all of its evil. And after three days, I rose from that grave, went in victory over death, grave, and the hell. And again, I made a way for you. Another way. But you chose to say no. Why? Why, Bill? Jesus takes his seat. God the Father once again looks to the audience and he asks, Are there any other witnesses? After a few moments, no, no reply. He then turns to Bill and he says, Bill, 
based on the testimony of the Holy Spirit, my precious son, Jesus, and based upon the lack of evidence that you ever in any way trusted my son as your Lord and Savior, there was no evidence of it. You never confessed him as Lord and Savior. There, you never asked for forgiveness of sin. I now must pronounce sentence upon you. And God takes his gavel and says, Bill, it saddens me. But by your choice, I must condemn you and your soul to eternal hell. Lost. Lost. Death angel, deliver him to hell. Now that's an introduction to what I want to preach about this morning. I want you to get this. Don't miss it. It'd be very easy for you and me to say, it's easy to die and go to hell. All you got to do is die lost. That's understandable. But there's some lessons in this little drama that we experienced here these last few minutes I want us to look at this morning. You see, old Bill worked pretty hard to go to hell. For almost 74 years, he worked hard to miss heaven. Now think about what he had to overcome to get there. The first thing that Bill had to overcome was a resounding call. You remember that the Holy Spirit testified that over and over and over again, he had knocked on Bill's heart's door. Revelation 23.20 says, Behold, Jesus, I stand at your door and knock. You'll ask me and I will come. There's some lessons to learn here. Over and over again, Holy Spirit had knocked and knocked and knocked. He gave him every opportunity, many opportunities, from childhood, through his youth, to adulthood and senior adulthood. For almost all of his life, he called and he called and he called and he knocked and he knocked and he knocked. But Bill never answered that knock. There was always something else to do. There was always somewhere else to be. He probably told himself that he had plenty of time. He probably said, I'm going to get saved one day. I'll surely do it before it's too late. But the truth is, he had a resounding call, a knock and a knock and a knock, a call and a call and a call, and he died lost. He had to overcome a second. He had to overcome a redeeming cross. Oh, he had heard the gospel. He'd been in vacation Bible school. Year after year after year, he had heard about the cross. He'd been in Sunday school. He had attended church services. He, he lived in the age of movies. He'd seen movies about the life and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He'd seen the agony of the cross. He, he had witnessed the suffering of Jesus on Calvary. He had heard preachers draw the connection between the blood and the forgiveness of sin. He'd heard them preach that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. But he was a good man, and he prided himself upon that fact. He convinced himself that, that he'd be judged on the good things he'd done. He pawned his soul to the devil 
and he died unredeemed because the only one who could pay the price of redemption was Jesus. And he never asked him to pay it. And he died lost. Lost without hope and went to hell. He had to overcome a redeeming or sounding call, a redeeming cross. Third thing, he had to overcome the resurrected Christ. Now, one thing about old Bill, he was a good Easter bunny. Even in the years when he didn't go to church, he'd go on Easter Sunday. Why? He'd been to church so much on Easter, he knew almost every word up from the grave he arose. He knew about the empty tomb. Oh, he had heard preachers preach about it from every angle and every direction. He always ended up with the message of the empty tomb. Jesus rose to win victory over the grave, death, and hell. He'll save you if you trust Him. Bill, today on this Easter Sunday, wouldn't you believe? Why don't you ask Jesus to come into your heart? Forgive you of your sins and save your soul. The Holy Spirit's knocking. You can hear Him knocking on your heart's door. Come! Come, Bill, be saved today. All those Easter's, he heard that knock. He heard that invitation. He heard that call of God, but he turned and he walked away. The victory could have been his, but he chose to refuse it. He died with no hope. He died lost. Lost. And was delivered to a devil's hell. Oh, he had to overcome the sounding call, a redeeming cross. A resurrected Christ, but there's one more. It was a resolute condemnation. The problem was he couldn't overcome this one. Oh, he defeated all the others, but this one, he didn't have a choice. You see, there'd been another character in this drama all along. He's been just standing just outside the door of that that great palatial courtroom. His name is the devil. He's standing out there. In fact, he's dancing a jig. He gloats. I've got another one. I've got another one. Yes, sir. He's mine. You see, the devil brews a devil's brew of deception, lies, and temptation that has an endless supply. Like the drug dealer standing on the corner, he doles out just enough to get you hooked. And then once he gets you hooked, he gives you just a little bit more increases the dosage until it consumes you. And once he consumes you, he'll give you just a little bit more until it destroys you. He works overtime to get you and to keep you. Oh, he'll tell you you need to get saved, but what's the hurry? You've got plenty of time. He'll tell you that you ought to walk down the aisle of the church and profess Christ as your Lord and Savior, but not today. It'll be humiliating and embarrassing if you do that. He'll convince you that you're good enough on your own merit. Surely your God wouldn't send a good man to eternal hell. He'll convince you that you'll have to give up too much if you get saved. You don't like it. You don't like Him. But you're addicted. When the Holy Spirit begins to knock. When the Holy Spirit begins to call. Come. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. When you hear about the blood, or when you hear a preacher preach about the cross, when you think about getting saved, the old devil's right there with his poison in hand. You hate him, you can't stand him, but you hold your nose and take another dose. And leave lost. 
Old devil continues to dance with joy. You see, my friend, there's no hope in what the devil offers. He'll tell you God's too merciful. God's too kind. God's too good. He'd never send anyone to hell. But remember, God hates sin. The devil tried to tell you. You can ignore the resounding call. You you can ignore the redeeming cross. You can ignore the resurrected Christ. But he'll never tell you that you can ignore that resolute condemnation. Because if you die without Jesus, you're going to be pronounced lost. 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 And you're going to hell. God drew a line in the sand. He said, no more. I'll give you every opportunity. But enough's enough. You made the choice. You chose to sit in that chair. You chose to face me at the great white judgment. Your fate is sealed. You've waited too late. You've gone too far. God called you. He gave His Son for you. He offered forgiveness and grace. The devil won. And you died lost. 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 Listen to that. That's the sound of justice. When holy God cast his gavel down on your condemnation, you're lost, lost, lost in hell forever. As the death angel took old Bill out to deliver him to Satan and hell. It's customary in our society that a condemning judge would say, And may God have mercy on your soul. Old Bill got about halfway down and God said, Bill, one last thing. I'd love to have mercy on your soul. But I can't because you refused my grace. Lost. His bowed and eyes closed. Nobody looking around. Listen. There's some people in this room this morning that are hearing. That's the Holy Spirit knocking on your heart's door. He's telling you, you've heard it again. You'll never hear it plainer than what you just heard it. That's where you're headed. That chair's got your name on it. You're going to end up there unless you do something about it. I'm calling you this morning. Come. Come to Jesus. I'm calling you. You hear me knocking? That's the Holy Spirit saying, Today's the day 
If you're here today and you're lost, you came because you need to be saved today. Saved. You're either going to hear this sound and answer it, or one day you're going to hear this sound. And there's nothing you can do about it before it's too late. Would you answer the knock on your heart's door today? Nobody looking around, all heads bowed, all eyes closed. I'll not embarrass you. I'm not going to come to you. I'll not call you out. But I believe with all my heart, and I prayed this this morning. I came here believing this morning some people are going to get saved. I believe right now there's some people here who are hearing this knock. And you need to get it right. You know you have. Maybe you're a counterfeit Christian. Maybe you've been a member of the church for a long time, but you know in your heart of hearts you're not saved, and you need to get it right. Maybe maybe you just heard the gospel afresh today, and God showed you that you need to be saved. But right now, in your heart of hearts, you know this morning, you hear the Holy Spirit knocking, you need to answer, and you want to answer. You want to get it right this morning. All I want to do is pray for you that you could get it right. That's all I'm asking you to do. If you need to get right this morning, you need Jesus, you hear the knocking of the Holy Spirit, and you want to be saved, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. I just want to pray for you. Raise your hand let me know you're praying to receive Christ. You want this morning to be saved. Anybody all over the room, just hold your room. Hold your hand up. I'm looking. Thank you. Thank you. Just hold it up high and stick it right back down. I just want to see it so I know where to pray and who to pray for. All right. Thank you. Somebody else? Hold it up high where I can see it. Okay, for you who raised your hands this morning, you know right now the Holy Spirit's knocking on your heart's door. There's never going to be a better opportunity to get saved than right now. Let me tell you how you get saved. You pray a prayer. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray that prayer, and right where you are, I want you to pray this prayer silently. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know you died for me. One victory over grave, death, and hell. And Lord, this morning, I, I, I saw what it's going to be like. And I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be judged eternally lost. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I want to be saved. I want to be your child. So Lord, this morning, I want to tell you I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. I repent of them. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, right now to come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, and save my soul. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And Jesus, I want to give you my life from this day forward. Now with our heads still bowed and our eyes still closed, if you're in this room this morning, as best you know how, you earnestly prayed that prayer a minute this morning, and you asked Jesus to save your soul, and he did, I want you to raise your hand and look at me this time. Anybody in the room, if you honestly prayed it a minute, hold your hand up and look at me. Anybody? All over the room. Anybody? All right. All right. If you raised your hand and said you prayed to receive Christ, then I want you to come down here and take my hand. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll not be ashamed of me. And, and, and folks, I, I just don't... I, if, if you came this morning and said, I got saved, I think every Christian in here would rejoice. Listen to me, church. Wouldn't we rejoice with them? Amen. Because God in heaven and the angels with him are all rejoicing. We might as well get in the party too. We want to celebrate the fact that you got saved this morning. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to stand here at the front. 
If you need to be saved or there's something else you need to do, the altar's open. You need to move the church later, whatever it is. You come make your decision this morning. Father, this is your time. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll move in power and might, that people will be faithful to the call and the knock of the Holy Spirit, and they'll come and do whatever they need to do to get it right. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us as we stand.